listen. Listen up. I used to shout that a lot when I coached basketball. Listen up. I'm about to give you some instructions, explain the next drill, get you pumped up in the locker room before the game. Listen. As a parent, I use that word all the time, usually after the fact. I already told you, weren't you listening? I'll explain it again. Please pay attention this time. Listen. You did miss that, didn't you? What is the greatest commandment? The scholar asked him. And Jesus said, this is the greatest. Listen. Listen. Hear. Shema in Hebrew. It's the shorthand for the whole prayer that Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, Adonai, the Lord our God. Adonai is one. Observant Jews pray that twice daily as the centerpiece to the morning and evening prayers. It's a bedtime prayer for children. In an ideal setting, those are meant to be the last words an observant Jew speaks before they die. Shema, listen. Hear, O Israel, Adonai, our God, our God is one. It's tough to say exactly what that meant to the ancient Hebrews and the Jews in Jesus' day. Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Yahweh our God, Yahweh one, like the number one. Does that mean that Yahweh is number one, the biggest and baddest of the gods? The God of my tribe is bigger, better than the God of your tribe. Does it mean that Yahweh alone is God? There is no other. A claim of monotheism. There is only one God, one sacred being, one creator. Or is it a description of the character of God? God is one. God is wholeness, unity, justice, shalom, oneness. That's who God is. All of those meanings have been lifted up in the ancient Jewish tradition. And in typical Jewish style, the teachers have held up all of them in debate and tension, held them together rather than choosing a single right answer. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That's the greatest commandment. Listen, pay attention to that. And of course, Jesus didn't stop there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Interesting. Whereas God is one, as humans, we are divided. It's heart slash spirit slash mind slash strength. Those divisions run deep within us. I'm not a head person. I'm a heart person. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The heart wants what it wants. Mind over matter. Separation. I'm not the only one who feels pulled in a thousand different directions sometimes. God is one, but I'm falling to pieces over here. To that, Jesus says, God wants all of that. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just the bits that I drag to church on Sunday. Not just my right belief and right action. Not just the moments of awe and gratitude when I feel spiritual. God wants all of it. I learned to think of that as a domination, submission, discipline thing. 
God is a jealous God. God demands my obedience in every part of life. This is a command after all. But I think that misses the point. What would happen if you actually were to do what Jesus is asking here? What happens when you give all of those pieces of yourself to God? What happens when you have a single focus for your spirit and your body, for your thoughts and your feelings? It's not just checking off the boxes on God's wish list. Oh, now I have the whole set of Joe. What a good little boy he is. I do love a gold star on my report card, but that's not it. If I were to actually bring all of those pieces to God, those separations I was talking about, my disjointed, divided self comes together. If I love God with my whole self, listen, that means I have a whole self. I am a whole person. The submission is the path, but the objective is the wholeness. Listen, God is one, and God wants me to also be one. And that wholeness extends beyond myself. You must love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, love God, love others. Jesus holds those two together. And again, I ask, is this about doing the right thing? Obedience, submission, service to God through kindness to my neighbor? Well, yes, it is about action. In Luke's version of this debate, Jesus follows this command to love the neighbor with the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is serious. This is love in action, as Dostoevsky warns, a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. But listen, the same move that happens in the first command also happens with the second. Love invites connection, relationship, Serving brings people together. The neighbor and the self are not actually divided. Jew and Samaritan, both God's people. Active love reveals that we're actually part of the same whole, which should not be surprising because our God is one. When I follow the first command, my perspective shifts. I am also whole. I am one within myself. And when I follow the second command, again, my perspective shifts. My neighbor is also part of this wholeness. I am one with them, with you, with everybody. The whole world is one. God is one, and it turns out that we are also one. I am a whole person in right relationship with a whole world, just like Yahweh. Listen, God is one. And I am part of that oneness. You are part of that oneness. That is all that there is. This is all the goodness, the oneness of God. Is that what Jesus is saying here? It is what he said to the scholar who asked him the question. Jesus left him with this blessing. You are not far from the realm of God. Not far, not separated from it. It is a part of who you are. Not because you're a good little boy who has earned it by right understanding or right living. Not because you are enlightened or faithful. But you are not far because this is what has always been. This is where you have always lived. This is the only place you possibly could be. Listen. Pay attention to what already is. Stop waiting for it to come someday. 
Stop trying to make it happen. Stop chasing it, because you're already there. You are not far from the realm of God. Listen, God is one. How's everybody doing? I gotta say, I struggle with this. 20 years ago, I would have said that this was heresy. I am one with the universe, one with God. That sounds like new age blasphemy. Grab your torch and pitchfork. But no, I just read it. This is part of the biblical tradition, central to the biblical tradition, ancient wisdom. I still struggle with it now though. God is one. The divisions in the world, in myself, they are so real, they seem so ultimate. How can all of this pain be part of a universe that is sacred and whole? It seems like an arrogant, blind, and insensitive thing to say. I'm much more comfortable with the idea that life is a struggle to survive, to win. I'm much more likely to talk about how we are broken, how we are in need of forgiveness and grace. I was trained to think about the tension between the already and the not yet. God's presence is now just a limited shadow of the fullness that is life to come. And I love to see myself as part of reconciliation in progress, learning and growing towards this global project of restorative justice. I like that in progress approach. I find it hard to believe that we are already there. We're already within the present reality of God's oneness. But that's the greatest command, Jesus says, the core of faith, listen and love. And when we do that, when we get past all the striving, trying to make the realm of God happen, we begin to see that we are, all of us, the whole cosmos, not far from the kingdom. It's already here in its fullness. That's the path to wholeness. That's yellow. Yeah, we've finally made it to the end of the series on spiral dynamics and the last color on the spiral that I'm gonna talk about, the yellow space. I have mixed feelings about yellow. For one, it's the most speculative part of this model. To this point, what we've been talking about has been based on pretty solid observation data from history and sociology and psychology. But with yellow, the model is shifting towards the projection of the future, trying to see what's coming around the bend. It isn't purely speculation. Spiral dynamics teachers can point to some pretty well-known examples of yellow. We can see the patterns pointing us in a, in a direction. But the sample size is quite small, so this is not solid ground. For another thing, yellow is the space of paradox. Yellow takes ideas that feel like either ors and it holds them together as both ands. That feels like tension, feels like contradiction, but it also feels like wisdom, an uncomfortable kind of wisdom. You'll see what I mean. As I hope has become clear to you by now, each of the spaces on the spiral develop in response to the limitations of the previous space being exposed in a changing environment. These Colors and spaces evolve in response to the changes around us. The situation changes and it becomes obvious that the old ways aren't working so well anymore. And humanity adapts and grows into a new color. 
Just like a new generation vows not to be like the generation before it, the new color usually pushes back against the old one. But the rebellion is still a reaction, and the new generation is still defined by what came before it. It's now just defined in opposition. For example, I've described red as the warrior space. Might makes right. Warlords and dictators. And in history, when enough people got tired of being pushed around by red bullies, they came together to form blue societies, ruled by law, morality, religious and political institutions, which is far better than bullies, for sure. But really, blue is playing the same game as red. Might makes right is still the basic assumption. Blue has simply come together to make a better bully, an army to keep the peace, a god of justice who does the bullying and enforcement, a set of laws to follow and to, to enforce. Blue looks back and it hates red. Think of America fighting its wars against dictators and insurgents and enemies of freedom around the globe. They hate bullies. They hate these international criminals. But often they're playing the same game. In opposing red, America has become the bully itself. It's just, well, we're the right kind of bully, the global police with truth on our side. That pattern often plays out with all the transitions on the spiral. The pattern is that each color sees itself as the best. This is the way. Each space looks backwards in disdain and forwards with fear. But in rejecting others, each space becomes a slightly more complicated version of the thing that it tried to leave behind. We don't want to become our parents. We're so sure of what they did wrong. But in our reaction against, they still define us and we become some twisted reflection of their image anyway. Hello, mom and dad. None of the colors of the spiral actually solve the problems. They just keep passing the baggage on down the line. Until finally, in theory, the yellow space doesn't solve the problems, but it is the awareness of that pattern. And it gives an invitation to put down that baggage. I've said it in every video in this series, there is unhealth and health in every space. The goal is to be able to access the gifts within every color, even as we grow into the next one. Transcend and include. That's yellow, and it's been with us all along. Yellow offers a way out of this cycle of reaction, not by solving all the problems, but by accepting them. Guess what, team? We are limited. We are human. All of our solutions are imperfect. There are always more holes. Maybe that's not a bad thing. It's not objectively evil anyway. It is the situation that we find ourselves in. As humans, we have shadows and the shadow of each color does not cancel out its light. No color is perfect, but each is useful. And together, all the colors, we have this great toolbox and perspective with which to approach our shared problems. A place for everything and everything in its place. Yellow is the integral space because it sees everything as an integral part of the whole. And rather than fighting it out for which color is the best, yellow works to integrate the strengths of each space into a cohesive unity. 
I know, that sounds idealistic, but it is possible. When Nelson Mandela was working to bring together South Africa in the 90s, he actually hired Don Beck, one of the researchers who developed spiral dynamics. And with each talk that Mandela would give, with each group that he would meet with, Beck would be in his ear. With this group, you should give a blue speech, or over here in this group, they're orange, so you need to talk with them from that perspective, and so on. And this wasn't pandering or playing politics. Mandela was learning how to use the language of each color, how to pull out their values and their strengths to inspire and craft this vision of a unified whole, an integrated nation. Likewise, we can see yellow emerging in the business world. Some of you have heard of the concept of the triple bottom line. It's not good enough for a company to make a profit. It also needs to contribute to the greater good of the community and it needs to be a good place for its employees to work. All three are essential. And it turns out by integrating those green and blue values, the orange business world actually becomes more effective at its orange goals. Yellow is better than the sum of its parts. That's not to say that yellow has all the answers. Like I said, I get frustrated with yellow because it tries to hold together things that seem like opposites. I mean, red power and green compassion. How can those possibly get along? Orange objectivity and purple mysticism. How can all of these be integral at the same time? But yellow isn't utopian. It's actually the most realistic space. Guess what, folks? This beige survival, this struggle that we've been dealing with from the beginning, it is still with us. We haven't moved beyond those problems, food, shelter, reproduction, safety. Those things have driven the spiral. We've learned a whole lot. None of the colors has solved them. Maybe we'll get there someday, or maybe not. We haven't solved the problems, but what we have done is expanded our awareness. Yellow points out that we already hold these contradictions within us. I said red power and green compassion couldn't possibly get along, but they do, they exist. That's called parenting. That's any relationship, really. Power and compassion always exist in some kind of balance together, except in pathology. Likewise, orange objectivity and purple mysticism both inhabit and drive the curiosity of science. Just watch any YouTube video on quantum physics. Orange and purple are both about wonder. Science and mysticism are made of the same stuff, or at least they're held together much of the time. Yellow points out that we already exist in this space of paradox, and our journey on the spiral has expanded our understanding of our limitations and our options for addressing them. The difficulties of being human aren't going away, but we can come to terms with them. We can learn to be at peace, perhaps. Like I said, yellow is still speculation. Spiral dynamics scholarship actually has a pretty ugly split at this point, and there are different camps about what is coming next and how we, how we will get there. The model that I'm more familiar with is called spiral dynamics integral, and it says that yellow is the beginning of a whole new cycle, a second tier of consciousness where the spiral loops back on itself, uh, like a song repeating just up an octave. They say that yellow is a higher tier version of beige, and that's followed by turquoise that resonates with purple, and even a coral that 
uh, is a version of red. Who knows? Part of me is curious about making those connections, and I can see some of that happening around me, perhaps. And part of me thinks that inventing higher stages of consciousness is a clever way to sell books and workshop registrations. Higher tier of consciousness? Take my $200 and color me turquoise. Personally, most of what I see in yellow uh, looks to me like healthy green. If green actually follows through on what it says about valuing every person and every story, then to me that looks like what I've been trying to do with this series, lifting up the good in every color, learning to integrate all of the colors into our lives. Maybe that's healthy green, maybe that is something new that we'll call yellow, maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know if the spiral dynamics model is accurate about the hows and whys of where humanity is heading. What I do see is that many of us are paying attention to the value of wholeness and connection in renewed ways in these days. The well-being of one is inextricably related to the well-being of the whole. We're waking up to that. The body is one, even though it has many parts. All the parts, many though they are, comprise a single body. So it is with Christ. This is not new, my friends, though we are waking up to it again. Within all of this yellow space, I can hear the invitation of Jesus. Listen, God is ours. God is one. In love, we can hold together the contradictions of hearts and minds and bodies and spirits. In love, we can connect with our neighbors, truly and deeply part of this larger whole. We are not far from the realm of God, no matter what color we live in. So that's the Heichmann interpretation of spiral dynamics. I will be sure to let you know when I open registration for my new workshop. May you listen and know the grace of God this day. May you love with your whole being. May you live and move and have your being in health and peace and safety, for you cannot go where God is not. Amen.